Alexis Dubief with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and I'm here with Melissa Brander. Hi, everyone. So Melissa and I are here today because a few weeks ago, there was a fascinating article in the New York Times called The Birth of a Mother, and it sparked a lot of discussion and thoughts about our own experiences and how we transitioned from general person doing life and loving things to being a parent, and uh, we wanted to take some time today to talk about the issues right up in the article, our own response to those challenges, and also share some advice about um, how hopefully some of you could help have a smoother transition to parenthood. And on that note, I did want to say the article is called The Birth of a Mother, but really this is about the birth of becoming a parent, which happens to both men and women. And I, so I just want to clarify that it really pertains to all people. Yeah, I definitely think like that for mothers, because there is a lot of pressure on moms and being a good mom, that in that mm-hmm. same way that there isn't that pressure on dad, it can feel like a much more ab- abrupt shift, but it's definitely something that everyone in the family feels. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, statistically, if someone's going to be staying at home to be the primary caregiver, you know, more often than not, that is a, a woman. But again, it's a huge transition for everybody. Yeah. So one of the issues the article brought up that sparked with me was it talks about an identity transition so that before you have your first child, you're a person with interests and hobbies and you probably have a career. And now all of that goes away and you are a mom. That is what defines you. Melissa, what did this feel like for you? Well, for me, I was young when I had both my kids. I was just out of college when I had my first son. And like a lot of, I was I did well in college, and a lot of people acted like when I became a mom, like all my potential was just lost, just zipped away like I had no potential anymore. So that was really hard for me to deal with, like the perceptions of other people as perceiving me as having no potential to do anything anymore. And um, also just the, like, you think you know what having a baby is going to be like, but then you have a baby and it's nothing like what you think it's going to be like. And that's also really difficult to deal with. You know, let's put a pin in that and come back to that later because you are spot on. <laughs> and I want to come back to that. But yeah, no, back to the identity transition. I really struggled because I had defined myself as somebody who was successful professionally. And all of a sudden, there was no professional success. I was home with a screaming, refluxy infant all day. And, you know, success was I uh, ate lunch. You know, that was success. And I struggled with that. Like, who am I if I'm not this successful professional person? Now I'm just, you know, and and, and also I didn't feel particularly successful as a mother. So I I was like. Yeah, I mean, the concept of success is so hard. I mean, I've been a stay-at-home mom for over five years now. And the idea of success, like when you look at our culture, like success is such a huge idea. And when you are working a job, you have like clearly identified like I'm making a paycheck, I'm getting promotions, etc. that mm-hmm. equals success in the eyes of everyone else. But with your kids, it's much harder to measure success. And at least for me, not having any way to measure ex- success is a very like scary feeling. Even when you're a kid and you're going to school, you have grades and you can use those grades to measure yeah. your success. But with your kids, there's nothing. There's like no way to measure your success. And that is was is really hard for me to cope with. Yeah. No, there's no raises. There's no job promotion. There's no annual review. You know, 
you're like, well, my children aren't in jail, so I guess it's okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we set the bar high, Alexis. You know, like, <laughs> you know, everybody's nobody's got you know rabies, so yeah. okay, nobody's um, dead yet. Nobody's dead. Whoa, woohoo! Great day. Um, so another issue that came up in this article was that our maternal identity is founded in your style, which in turn is influenced by how we were raised. Now, before we get into this, I want to point something out to listeners, which is that I am vastly older than Melissa. (laughs) So, so when I think about how I was raised, I'm having to go way back into history to to really kind of look at like how my parents parented me, you know, versus Melissa, who's, you know, like almost 20 years younger than I am. So your parenting experiences are are more recent history to you than than mine are to me. Just to give some context. Yeah. <laughs> so when I look at like how I was raised, it is a bit fuzzy because it, it was many decades ago, let's be honest. And um, I kind of feel like I was part of the 70s sort of like free range, you know, I mean, at a fairly young age, you know, I was like, you know, off on my own with my friends and a bike all summer. Um, Like, and this was like I was eight, you know, I mean, I was just going to be gone all day, like doing stuff in the neighborhood, biking around town, you know, I biked to the park in town by myself and, you know, play basketball with a bunch of eight year olds. So... Um, the current mode of parenting is very different from how I was raised. So I don't feel like I have a lot of experiences in terms of what my parents did that I can draw from. Yeah. I think that's I mean, where I was like led to a, like a lot of books and parenting classes because I felt like, well, I don't, I don't have a playbook. Yeah. And for me, I feel like just so much, even though I am younger than you, I feel like even still so much has changed. Like when my parents were parents, they – like everything wasn't on social media. They weren't being bombarded by a thousand million articles about everything Mm -hmm. all the time. And like, for me, I'm a very like research oriented parent. I don't want to do things just because that's the way they're always been done. I need like reasons behind it. So sometimes like I wish that I could be more like my parents and just like go on my instinct. Whereas I am like, I feel the need because I know the information is out there. I feel the need to find the information. And like that, it's it's hard. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a tough balance because there's there's a certain mindset that says trust your instincts. Yeah. But our instincts are not always trustworthy. So, you know, a little bit of reality check or sort of saying what what else is out there to help inform my decision other than my instinct is really helpful and finding that balance can be a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, So another issue the article brought up, and I love this one. So this is a quote. It talks about the experience of maternal ambivalence, quote, about the pull and push of wanting a child close and also craving space physically and emotional. And oh boy, can I relate. (laughs) Because yes, like, I mean, listen, there is nothing better than cuddling with your child and, you know, clinging to them and they're squishy and lovable and so great. But sometimes I just want to be alone. And that feeling of being like overtouched and just wanting space was really strong for me when my kids were younger. Yes. And definitely like kids never pick like the good moments to want to touch you. You know, like when you're just sitting there, you're like, oh, come snuggle with me. Then they're too busy playing. But then when you get up and try to like cook or clean or exercise or whatever, they're like, pick me up. Pick me up. I know. 
Um, and this gets back to sort of a common parenting theme that I am not a fan of, which is the whole cherish every moment concept. And this comes up a lot, like cherish, cherish every moment. They're only young for such a small time. And I'm like, you know, that suggests that our feelings of wanting space are wrong. Because yeah. if you want space, you're not cherishing the moment. And I'm like, but that's okay. And 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 wanting space and honestly, more you know, mourning being a, an independent adult who can do things and and isn't just defined by parenting, that's an okay thing to be. And the yeah. cherish concept I feel undermines that. Yeah, I feel like the cherish every moment, it's put so much pressure on every moment being special and magical and wonderful but the reality is some moments suck some moments suck when your kids is vomiting it's not fun i'm not cherishing that moment when my kids are throwing up let's be honest there so i i spent two years shoving my oldest screaming into a car seat there was no trip in the car did not involve him screaming and me physically wrestling him into the car seat straps like there are moments that are not cherishable yeah it's just And I think even for the cherishable moments, like, nobody needs to tell you to cherish. You are going to naturally cherish the moments that are there to cherish. Like, it's not something that you need to be told. It's not like anybody is sitting there being like, oh, I'm just going to be grumpy about everything. You recognize the moments that are that are important and you cherish them without even thinking about it i am choosing not to cherish melissa respect my choices i know i know i actually wrote a blog about this yesterday um or two days ago something oh, like great. that we'll link yeah. to it in the show notes okay sounds great uh so another point and again we're drawing from a new york times article and i'll link to that in the show notes um and that uh, another point that this great article brought up was that a woman's fantasies of pregnancy and motherhood are informed by her observations, whether it's, you know, m- movies, TV shows, magazines, books, Instagram, whatever. And reality disappoints if it doesn't align with her vision. Yeah. Oh, my God, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really ignorant. I mean, I laugh at my my, pre-ba- my pre-baby self was so ignorant about the realities of parenting. I, I didn't have friends who had babies. I had no experience with babies. So I literally sort of thought parenting was like it's shown on, on like movies. Yeah. And I thought, great, you know, you have these kids and then you continue to go about your life and the kids are just, you know, they're with you, but, you know, it's fine and, and you know, if you notice, like, in the movies, like, these women give birth, and the next day, they're wearing, like, slim white pants and high-heeled sandals, and they're zipping around their perfect kitchen, and life is fine. And right. in hindsight, of course, that was ridiculous, but at the time, I didn't really critically think about my um, my fantasies about motherhood, so I just thought, oh, yeah, that's that's what it'll be like. You know. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't help that we don't really talk about it. Like, for everything, for, like, all the messages that are out there from TV, like, normal people, because of all the messages that are out there from TV, then we don't talk as much about our experiences because we feel like there's something wrong with our experiences, which then perpetuate the idea that the experiences that we see on TV and everything are the norm when they're completely not. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the stories that I, f- I feel like really encapsulates just how ignorant I was, was when I was like, I don't know, eight months pregnant, I used to play soccer uh, fairly regularly, like all the time. And so when I was like eight months pregnant, I signed up for an indoor soccer league that started six weeks after I was due to give birth, figuring, oh, yeah, sure, I'll be ready. Like, I really thought that six weeks postpartum, I was going to strap on some cleats and go out on the pitch and play competitive soccer. 
I wasn't getting dressed on a regular basis six weeks postpartum. Like, I was struggling to walk around the block six weeks postpartum. I could not have been less ready to play soccer. Yeah. I mentioned I was like a nursing mom. So, like, you know, leaving this newborn to go run around while I'm bleeding and leaking and, you know, like – but I had really no idea of what the reality would be. Yeah. And I laughed that I re- I signed up for this. Yeah, there are definitely like so many things that I committed to the summer after my oldest was born and because he was born in May. And so I committed to plans for the summer because that's what you do. And then like at the end of all the plans, I was like, I am so exhausted. Oh, you know what? This is the time of year because it's spring. And there's a lot of parents of new babies who are emailing me and they're like, all right, well, we've planned like five camping trips with our three-month-old. Any tips? And I'm like, yeah, here's a tip. Don't go camping with your three-month-old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I know I'm laughing, but I'm also like, that's their version of the soccer yes. league. You know, they yes. made these plans and they reserved these campsites, you know, months ago. And they're like, sure, we'll go camping. And now I'm like, oh, God, no. Yes. Don't. That sounds, that sounds like a nightmare to me. Do I'm, not camp with your three-month-old. I went camping when I was like 30-something weeks pregnant with Alan, and I was miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I was so miserable. You know, we did that too. I have a pregnant a picture of me like way pregnant, you know, wearing a long sleeve shirt covered in bug spray, just like, you know, wondering why we are here. Yeah. <laughs> and the bathroom with the real toilets was up a hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you need, you need, a good, you need good bathroom access yes. when you're really pregnant. Yes. <clears throat> so yeah, so one of the things that I, again, if I could go back in time and talk to myself, <clears throat> I would say that, you know, you need to extend yourself some grace and set your expectations really low. <laughs> yes, because when you, even if it's a really low expectation, when you meet that expectation, you're like, yeah, I crushed it. Yeah. Like, like it mean, makes part, me feel part, good. Part of the transition to becoming a parent is really finding a new happy. Yes. And speaking of finding your happy... We have a podcast sponsor. Yes, let's introduce our podcast sponsor, Alexis. This episode is brought to you by Reverie. Reverie for new parents. What is Reverie, you ask? I'll tell you. It's a power bed. So what it does is it works within your bed frame, your existing bed frame, and your existing mattress. But it's a mechanized power bed that enables you to lower your or, or raise your footboard or headboard. No, let me rephrase that. The bottom of your mattress or the top of your mattress, you can sit up. If you've got swollen ankles, you can raise the bottom to help your swollen ankles. You can sit up to nurse or feed a baby. It's awesome. Yeah, and I it when you are have a newborn, it is so important to be comfortable. Like you are going to spend a lot of time recovering. Like you don't just bounce back like we were just talking about. And so like you want to be comfortable because Things will hurt in areas that you didn't even know it was possible for them to hurt. So the more comfortable you can get, the better. And let's be honest, you may not be sleeping a lot, but you're going to be spending an enormous amount of time in your bed. So it really becomes your home base because you're in there helping your children to nap, you're feeding them in there, you're night parenting a newborn. So this is the time to make sure that your home base, which is your new, you know, your bed in your bedroom, is as awesome as possible. So if you want to learn more about how Reverie can help you do that, you can go to momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS. You can also learn more about them on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Reverie. And in case it's not obvious how you spell that, because it's not obvious to me, it's R-E-V-E-R-I-E. Um, so yes. 
the new podcast sponsor, Reverie. Yes. So back to the New York Times article. Um, again, these are all points brought up in the article. We'll share it in the show notes. Um, so they talk about maternal guilt. And again, that's really parental guilt. Um, that we all feel guilty because we're always making challenging and sometimes impossible choices. Yes. So that motherhood becomes defined by this guilt. Yes. So Melissa, what do you feel guilty about? Oh, it's probably an easier question to ask what I don't feel guilty about. <laughs> I mean, guilt is a really big struggle for me. There's all, there's so many like conflicting messages out there and like pretty much everyone will tell you that you are raising your kids wrong. And I seem to attract strangers telling me how to parent my children all the time. So like, oh, I, I think you just need to, you need to develop a little resting bitch face because I, know. I, I don't. I don't think I'm a mean person, but I think I look a little bit mean because no one ever gives me unsolicited advice. I know, but people give me unsolicited advice all the time. I and think you're just too sweet looking. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a curse. It's a curse, Alexis. Um, but I think like it is so easy to feel guilty about things, especially like tying this into the fantasy aspect that we talked about a little bit before. If you had an idea of something that you would do because you felt that it was the best for your kid and then if you for whatever reason can't do it or if you get into doing it and you realize this is really terrible, you can feel you can feel so much guilt about that and guilt is a huge struggle of mine. It weighs on me way more than it should because I'm always trying to measure up to some perfect standard that I don't even think really exists. And even though I know logically that that perfection doesn't exist, it's still very hard to keep myself from feeling guilty when I inevitably fall short. I I don't know. I, I have many struggles as a parent. I don't know if guilt is one of them. I sometimes feel what I would define more as chagrin. <laughs> like, I'm a terrible house cleaner, and I just don't. I just don't invest the time in it. And then sometimes I look around and I'm like, I really should invest a little more time in this. <laughs> like, this is not – but I'm not, like, guilty. I'm more just like, ugh. And I, I, I do sometimes feel some guilt in terms of looking at my children as – growing adults and thinking, okay, how am I setting them up for success when, you know, their rooms are a shambles? Like, yes. how am I helping to grow them into adults who can function in society when I can't even get them to put their socks in the sock drawer? Like, Yeah, for whatever reason, like, that is also a big guilt tripper for me. Like, what is wrong with me that I cannot get my kids to listen to me? Like, know, you know, know, in my head, I'm like, you know, if I just did everything right, the way that all the parenting experts say, even though they all say a different way, if I did everything right, then my kids would be little angels. When, awesome. But you know what? It doesn't work like that. They have their own personalities, and it doesn't matter how good of a parent you are, your kids are still going to make bad choices, and they're still going to do the wrong things sometimes. But it's hard to let go of that guilt, that that idea that there's something that you could do about it. And, and again, back to the idea that like I'm I'm much older than Melissa, <laughs> and uh, and my kids are older too. So my oldest is ten. So I've had you know ten years of experience, sort of um, finding my peace with my guilt. Um, and and I'm not saying I have full peace with the guilt, but I I do think that I have made some level of peace on some issues with my guilt. Yeah, you're way more chill than I am. I, well. <laughs> I, you know, I think it helps that I have a healthy sense of humor. And so I'm, I am pretty able to laugh at most things. Um, 
you know, but it does, it's, it gets harder. I will say like, as my kids get older, like there's, there's new and more creative things to feel guilty about <laughs> happening all the time. So it's, it's an, it's a never ending journey. You know, it's not like you just stop being guilty. You just find different things to be guilty yes. about. When you're little, you're guilty if they feel like they eat some food that they shouldn't be eating. But like when they're well, five, I mean, you're when like, when they were younger, I felt guilty about how frazzled I felt ever frazzled. Like with this, this we had a lot of temper tantrums and I felt really, I, I wasn't uh, suave in my handling of the power struggles and this temper tantrums. And I felt guilty about that. I felt guilty that I couldn't find my like temper tantrums then. Um, yes. You know, now they're older. Like, they you know, like the idea so that like you just should be ever calm. You should be ever calm for them. But then oh, when you I are inevitably not calm. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, my. That mom is not And then I feel guilty that that mom is not me. Even though I'm, like, trying to keep my calm. My kid's crying. I'm probably crying, too, because I can't figure out how to get my kid to stop crying. And it, then I'm like, but I'm the adult. I should be holding it together. And then I feel guilty about that. Yeah. No, it's, it's not it's, to suppress you. Don't be like me. Don't no, feel guilty about it. Parent guilt is a real and pretty pretty major thing. And again, this gets the whole article gets back to things that nobody talks about. So you become this parent and no one's ever saying, hey, you're going to ha- be filled with self-doubt and guilt for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody is saying that. Yeah. And I think it gets back to that idea we were talking about before with success because because there's no like real way to measure success, then we create all these ideas of what we think will make us and make our children successful. And those ideas are almost always impossible to reach. And so then their impossibleness to reach feeds into the guilt and it's just a never ending cycle. You know, back to the there's no measure of success. A few weeks ago, we had a touch a truck and my kids um, school bus was there. Like so their school bus driver was at the event with the school bus and my youngest wanted to go on the school bus he takes every morning. So we're like, okay, we go in the school bus and nobody else was there. And the school bus driver was chatting with me and he goes, oh, your kids are so great. They're just such a pleasure to have on the bus. And I was like, Aww. success, success. Oh, I know. The and somebody bus driver likes my kids. <laughs> right. When somebody compliments your kids it's like the best feeling so this like everybody out there listening compliment your mom friends on what they're doing well with their kids it will make them feel like a million dollars and make sure you get your school bus driver like a nice amazon gift card at christmas because then he'll compliment (laughs) you at touch a track So back to the article. So another thing they talk about is that, um, you know, many of us, we have this like Instagram image of the pregnant and postpartum supermom who's beautiful and organized and, you know, sexy but modest and multitasking and glowing and does prenatal yoga, yoga and is, you know, unfazed by the challenges of parenting. And, you know, that this woman is a fiction. Yeah, but, but there are so many pictures out there. But we feel like we're failing, right? Because look yep. at her. And then look at me. Yeah, I don't know if you remember a few years ago that mom and she had like this super fit picture with her like three kids and she was like, what's your excuse? Oh, the mom shamer. Yeah. 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 
And I'm just like, it, the pressure is real. Or like the, like the Instagram supermodels and they're like, I exercised all through pregnancy and here's my cute little belly and here's this picture of how I look like six weeks postpartum. But you know what? Pregnancy is completely different for everyone. Like some people can exercise all the way through pregnancy. That's great. For me, I had like terrible pelvic pain, which made like walking, sitting, basically doing anything where I'm moving at all ever, like completely painful. So you know what? I did not exercise all through my pregnancy because it hurt too much. By the way, as a slight plug, um, there's actually a new book out called Confessions of a Supermom, which is all about this. It's about a new mom who's struggling with all of these things, who sort of obsesses about this like Instagram mom and how big a failure she is compared to this Instagram mom. And apparently it's hysterical. I haven't read it. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it's on my to-read list. And It's also um, on my to-read list, too. Yes, and it's by the author of The Honest Toddler, who is brilliant and funny. So, um, Link to it in the show notes, Alexis. What? I said link to it in the show notes. I will link to it in the show notes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so that that is a challenge, and I think that gets back to feeling like a failure and our guilt because we're like, oh, wow, look, there's this picture of this mom who has three kids and has a six-pack, and I can't get it together. Yes. Um, and honestly, I look at it like this. I do know people in real life who have managed to, like, exercise, in, like, enormously and somehow have their kids around. Like, they can just entertain their kids and then, like – you know, do the fitness blender videos in their living room and they're in amazing shape and somehow they they make that happen. I think that's their kids' personality. My kids were never going to play with blocks while I did a 40-minute fitness video. Like that was just never in our cards. Um, So I don't see myself as a failure. I'm just more like, well, that just wasn't going to work for us, you know? Yeah, and I mean, we all have things that are important to us to do. And for some people, that's exercise. For me, I exercise, but that's not like top of my list important. There are other things that I value more, like reading books, for example. Not that I'm saying you can't like to exercise and read books, but for me, books are where it's at. Like, I stayed up two hours late two nights ago finishing my book because I like to do it. And so everybody has their own thing that's their thing, and you can't compare your thing to somebody else's thing because you have different values and different things that are important to you. Well, and look at the people we know, right? So, gar- you know, Corey's into gardening. That's her thing. You know, Emily's into baking. She bakes amazing, gorgeous, like Instagram-worthy, beautiful things. That's her thing. You know, exercise is my thing. I, I joke, but it's not really a joke. Ex- exercise is how I manage the crazy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and we all have our thing. And whatever you have that's working for you is awesome. Yeah. You know? So that brings us to our clothing thoughts. Like, it's really hard to transition from whoever you were before to whoever you are now. And it's always changing. I mean, as my kids get older, like, I don't feel like I'm done. It's a constant process. And I thought this article really brought up a lot of the issues that we're all struggling with that aren't really discussed, that no one really prepares you for, but are common to all of our journeys in terms of coming, you know, into parenting and evolving as parents. And you know, I feel how, like how um, I feel like for me, since I've been a mom, those have been like the hardest years of my life. But they're also been the years where I've grown the most as a person. So yeah. it's not just all hard without reason. Like I do think that you can have a lot of personal growth as a parent because it challenges you and pushes you in ways that are completely unique. Um, 
And I, so something that I think, it, you know, we all have to do, and it's not always easy, and it wasn't easy for me, which is making peace with our reality. And I struggled with this. Yes. That whole, like, loss of identity of, like, who am I if I'm not this successful professional person? That was a long and hard journey for me. And if I could go back in time, I would say, you know, let's really make a conscious effort to let it go. You know, your yeah. income does not define you. Your job title does not define you. The things that make you a cool person are things that are intrinsic to you. And if I could have made peace with that um, early on, I could have saved myself a lot of angst about it. Yeah, for sure. Like making peace is a big one because if you don't make peace, it's always it's always going to drag you down because the reality is there are so many parts of our life that are out of our control. And so learning to make peace with that is a super important part of it. And speaking of making peace, I think it's also important to make peace with the fact that there are things you do really, really well that make you special. And there are things you don't do well. And that's okay. Yeah, nobody can be good at everything all the time or it would be a really boring kind of a world. Like there are people who do amazing art and amazing music and everything like that. And I love that those people do the amazing art and the amazing music because I appreciate it and I can see how cool that is. But I do not do amazing art and amazing music. And that's (laughs) that's okay. No, and I think, but I think it's okay to acknowledge that. And instead of like being self-critical and saying like, oh, I'm terrible. uh," It's like, you know what? That's not my strength. I have other strengths though. Here are my strengths and that's what I'm going to focus on. And it's okay to accept that those are not my strengths because I'm like you, Melissa. I'm not artistic. I'm not creative. I, all of the paint in our house just came from like the pre-designed palette on the paint websites. You know, I'm like, okay, here's some colors that go together. Like... So something that helped me personally, because as I've mentioned, you know, my sort of transition into parenthood was not smooth. It was rocky and it was long. Um, And there was definitely a time where I was like, everything sucks. This is my life now. And it's just a grind. And I'm a terrible parent. And, you know, Duncan cries all the time. And nursing is really hard. And I can never leave the house. And la, 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 la. And something that really helped me and my husband, we both did this, is we kept a gratitude journal. Which sounds kind of hokey. I get that. But it was literally just a notebook. And every day at the end of the day, we would do this in our bed. We had to write down at least three good things that happened. And some days those things were really small things. It would be things like the sun came out and it was beautiful this afternoon, you know. Um, But it really focused our energy on the things that were right. And it took a lot of our energy away from the things that weren't. Yeah, I've also gratitude journaled in the past, and it's really helpful um, because it's it's like you said, it does take away your some of your attention off the negative. It forces you to look for things that are good. Like that's the part that's so helpful about it because otherwise, it can be easy to miss the good parts and all of the bad parts. But when you are having to write them down and to actually like focus on it, then you have to look for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was super helpful. And another thing that helped, and this is sometimes hard to do, is you have to find your parenting tribe. And your parenting tribe may not be the same tribe you had before you became a parent. You know, like not all of your friends may have kids or, you know, your coworkers may not have kids. So you really need to connect with people who are other parents who can help normalize your experience, who can help find the humor with you. 
Um, and this is sometimes hard to do. People often talk about how hard it is to make mom friends. Yeah. I mean, like for me, I would say it took me like well over a year to really find like my core group of people of mom friends. But once once you find those people and that place where you can just like be yourself and not feel like you have to act a certain way or to like not feel like you have to be perfect or anything like that. It's it's immensely helpful to feel so supported by other people because parenting is really hard. And if you don't feel supported by other people around you, it is way harder. You feel like you're doing it all on your own. So the yeah. people there who can tell you that you are not... You're not doing as bad of a job as you think you are and who can just relate and have share their stories and their experiences with you too. It's it's invaluable. Yeah, parenting is a team sport. And I know it, it is painful. We had just moved to Vermont basically minutes before we gave birth. So I did not have a tribe. And, you know, putting yourself out there sometimes sucks. You're going to go to play groups or events where you don't connect or where you feel like you don't fit in. And that's just part of the process. And you have to just kind of shake it off and find the next one or try again. And whether it's, you know, mops or meetup or clubs or book clubs or whatever it is, you just have to kind of stick with it. And even if it's not working out, you can't let that, you know, blow you up. You just have to go, well, okay, you know, try try again another day. You You have to keep you have to keep trying like with all of the things on this list they take time none of them is gonna be an instant fix and so you have to remember that with parenting and with life you're playing the long game it is a long con parenting it's a long con yeah Uh, Another idea, and this is just my kind of life motto, is humor helps everything. Um, I guess that's really my survival strategy is just, you know, to find the humor in everything. Because, you know, it's – I don't know why you have to do that. You just have to do that. (laughs) Yeah. There is nothing I can't laugh at or find find the silly in. Um, And lastly, and this gets back to my whole thing about, you know, finding some balance is you have to carve out some time for yourself. And everyone's like, I can't. It's impossible. I get that it is hard. But finding a way to have some time during the week, and maybe it's just two hours a week to start with if your babies are younger, where you get to go off and do something kid-free that is rejuvenating for you is essential. And if you're, you know, if you don't have a partner or if your partner's not available, you know, maybe there's a childcare swap. Maybe there's, you know, a lot of times like gyms will have options where if you work in the gym daycare, you get a free gym membership. I mean, there's there's ways to make it work. I know when my youngest was nine months, I started going to this boot camp class and I was not able to participate. I mean, I, I was like modifying everything out the wazoo because I could not do what they were doing. But I went twice a week and for that one hour, I was so focused on how hard it was <laughs> and how sweaty I was so that all of my like stress and guilt and transition struggles faded into the background and I just focused on trying to crank out my knee push-ups. You know, that was where my attention was. And that was so healing for me and really the start of the transition from like struggling new parent to like semi-balanced parent. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to figure out how to carve out space for myself because in the beginning, like, I would feel so guilty about carving out space for myself. But with time, I've come to realize, like, that time is necessary for me to be a whole person. And mm-hmm. that in turn helps me to be a better mom. And like now, I've for the last year, I've been singing in my church choir and that's been really wonderful for me. But before that, so when I, um, you know, we were broke and I didn't have anything to do anyways, just like two hours on Sunday night, I would just go down to the basement and be by myself while my husband was with the kids and even just something like that just like knowing that for those two hours whatever happens I'm not responsible for it that even just something like that can be really helpful yeah and lastly we just wanted to say you know have faith and know that you are not alone we part of why I love this article so much is it talked about the fact that no one is talking about those things yeah so here we are talking about them Mm -hmm. we all struggled with this Everyone you see has struggled with this, and they may not say it, and they may not even be aware or have words to put towards their experience, but we have all marched these same rocky shores, and it does get better. It's just a process, and it takes time, and it's kind of shitty in some ways, but it's also how we evolve and become kind of these new awesome parenting type people. Yeah, with everything that we just talked about, you have to be able to give it time. Like like I said before, nothing is going to change overnight. You are not going to like magically wake up one day and your tribe will be there. Like all of these things on the list take time to develop and that's okay. Give yourself give yourself the time to do that. Don't like put some like self-imposed deadline on it and you feel like, oh, I didn't find any mom friends and it's been two weeks. Like, (laughs) no, you gotta, you have to give yourself time. It will take as long as it takes, but as long as you keep working at it, you can make it happen. Well, on that note, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I want to wrap things up and remind you that it is time to invest in your bed because you're going to be spending a lot of time in it. Uh, If you want to learn more about Reverie, you can go to momsneedsleep.com backslash PLS or check them out on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Reverie. It is a power bed and you can use it to make your bed both more comfortable and more functional for all of the things you'll be doing in there. Feeding infants, reading to toddlers, changing diapers. So check it out and we'll be back again soon with a new episode. Talk to you later. Mm -hmm. Thank you.